Devin, how are you feeling about, you know, things, the state of things? You know, talking to Sarah Kenzier is always super interesting and just a little bit depressing. So, you know, it's okay. But what about you? I, I, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling good about the prospects of uh, Democrats winning on November 6th, but I have to admit it's been, um, it's been a little tough, you know, with the Supreme Court stuff and, uh, you know, all hell breaking loose at all times. So trying to, trying to keep my head up, chin up, but it's like a little challenging some days. Absolutely. Although I think Hillary Clinton mentioning crush the midterms in a tweet kind of made my whole week a little brighter. Oh, did Hillary Clinton mention crush the midterms? I had no idea. I know. It was it was definitely an amazing moment. It was honestly, I didn't know it was coming and then a friend sent it to me and I was pretty much shaking for like an hour. <laughs> um for all our friends at home, Hillary Clinton, uh, you might have heard of her, kind of like an indie <laughs> uh, politician. She tweeted um a version of Crush the Midterms uh this week. It was from The Arena, which is one of our partners. Um they're a really great political action committee. And um yeah, she was basically just you know, giving us the the glow, <laughs> um, and it was so exciting. And I was like, "Wow, Hillary Clinton has has seen something I worked on. This is crazy, yeah. crazy." But um, it was just really affirming that this is a this is a cool tool for people to use, and also that she's. It was good to see that she's focused on the midterms as much as yeah, we are. Absolutely. Well, and I think that actually plays in nicely with today's topic, which is kind of the the threats to democracy and how voting is not necessarily a right that everyone in this country has. So like I said, I spoke with Sarah Kenzier about some of these voting issues. And, you know, I think it's perfect for today since today is National Voter Registration Day. And it is so important that we vote, not not only for the candidates that that excite us and to move move the annals of power to the Democratic Party, but also because it is the most powerful tool we have in a representative democracy. So, you know, like I said at the top of the show, it's always a little bit depressing to speak with her, but also a really important topic. Yeah, I, I also think something that is really motivating me, aside from the fact that I'm a citizen and it is my right to vote, and I, I it's a it's a privilege though, and the policies instituted um, by the people we elect impact people who don't have the right to vote in this right. country, um, immigrants, people with um, you know green cards and certain immigration status, and then. Uh, undocumented immigrants um, are deeply affected by the choices that our government makes. So it's sort of like we're not just voting for our own interests, but we're we're helping give a voice to people who um, don't have a say and who's representing us in, uh, in government. Yeah, it's it's also so important. I mean, so we live in a representative democracy, so which means we choose people to go represent our interests 
in Washington, D.C. or in our state capital in, in the case of local local seats. And we have to make sure that we hold our representatives accountable and that they continue to represent the interests of the constituents that they serve. So a lot of times, you know, a person is, a, in a, is elected and is an incumbent and will, after some time, will no longer represent the district that they serve. I think a really good example of this was Ayanna Presley, who uh, in her primary beat a long-term Democratic incumbent because he no longer represented that district. Yeah, and and also it seemed like he was getting a little exactly. too comfortable. And um, we need people who are really keeping their finger on the pulse of things and, and actively fighting for for what we need. Um, at just thinking along the lines of people who no longer represent their district. I I just saw some polling numbers um, in Virginia in Dave Bratt's district. Um, he is uh, one of the most <laughs> loathsome members of Congress. He is uh, Trumpian all the way. And um, he's losing in the most recent polls to Abigail Spanberger, who um, is uh, first time running for Congress. And it, I thought back to this thing I read last year that I'll never forget. Um, during the um, healthcare fight last summer, um, Rep. Brat told a newspaper that the, the women, they're always all up in my grill. <laughs> they won't they won't leave me alone about about ACA, about the Affordable Care Act and um, about having their, you know, health care taken away. They're all up in my grill. They're so annoying. And uh, so now they're saying, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, we're annoying. Okay, well, um, we're gonna vote you out. <laughs> if, you, if you can't deal with us and our concerns about having health coverage, then maybe you shouldn't be representing us in the U.S. Congress. I don't know. We talk about it a lot in terms of the candidates and our representatives, but it is also more than that. There are so many more things on the ballot. There are often ballot measures and propositions that will affect your community. There are the local seats, which we talked, talked about last week, and the importance of, of local politics in addition to the bigger, quote-unquote, sexier seats. And, uh, you know, additionally, one thing that is often forgotten are things like there are candidates for judge and sheriff and other people who are even more local than your state senate or state assembly. So... You know, I think we're seeing with, like you said at the top of the show, all of this stuff about the Supreme Court, that is also often on the ballot, though, silently. So it's not even just about who represents us directly, but then who is going to be voting on bigger issues like uh, judicial nominees and these other things that can affect us for, for long periods. A lot of the rhetoric around anti-Trump stuff is, protect democracy. He's a threat to democracy. Um, he's subverting democracy. He's trying to be a dictator, a tyrant. And what greater way to send a message to him that this is still a democracy than by showing up to vote in the election to say, because, you know, if you're, if you are showing that you don't really care and that you're just sort of throwing your vote away, then it's like, if you don't use it, you lose it. 
in in some way. Um, and that's it's obviously not like a one to one thing. It's like, oh, you don't vote, then you're not going to be allowed next time. That's fortunately not how it works. But um, I it just feels like such a powerful message to say we we do want to keep our democracy. So that that's why we're going to vote for the people who are pro democracy. It's really it's pretty simple. Well, and then things like. You know, before Trump even came into office, there were structural changes to voting rights, such as the partial repeal of the Voting Rights Act, which went through the Supreme Court. Hmm. Um, there have been voter ID laws and other state initiatives to uh, disenfranchise citizens. And so voting is not only, you know, like you said, saying we want to protect our democracy, but it's imperative to protecting our democracy. And when we talked to Jason Kander, he said the same thing. Like, we need to get people in who are pro-democracy. And I love the term that he used. He They created big voter. And we need to make sure that we are protecting candidates and electing candidates that are uh, committed to preserving voting rights and making sure that everyone has the right to vote. Yeah, I think that I, it's it's cool because we're in week four of the podcast and it's cool seeing how everything is starting to fit together. And I hope everyone listening is starting to see that. It's like one thing begets another, begets another. And voting for voting and support, supporting the right candidates leads to a healthy democracy because you're putting people in power who care about protecting a health and democracy. Um, so it's just this, this crazy cycle of things <laughs> and we can never stop paying attention to it either. That's sort of the lesson here too. One thing that, that Sarah and I talked about towards the end of the interview was about even with all of these structural roadblocks in place. So the repeal of the Voting Rights Act, voter ID laws, gerrymandering, um, you know, even foreign interference in elections. One thing that can really tip the scales is this excitement from the Democratic base and high voter turnout. Because when more people vote, Democrats win. So I think that's really the central message here is, especially today on National Voter Registration Day, is that we need to register everyone we know to vote and make sure that everyone shows up at the polls November 6th. That is going to be absolutely crucial to changing the tides of our government at this moment. I'm feeling really good. I'm actually feeling better than I did 10 minutes ago when I told you I wasn't feeling that good. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like I want us to be able to knock a zillion more doors from now until election day. But then I'm like, can it just happen already? Like, can we just do the thing, please? <laughs> uh, but it's so soon. It's so soon. But that's why I feel like this conversation with Sarah is really well-timed because it's like, let's have a little reality check. Let's like really get in touch with what is at the core of why we really need to vote. And then like, let's get back to just uh, the next, you know, five, six weeks of sprinting to the finish line. We're so close. Our guest today is writer, scholar, and expert on authoritarianism, Sarah Kenzier. We are very lucky to have her. Everyone 
you know, is always really focused on presidential elections and obviously 2020 is going to be a big deal, but how right now taking control of, you know, the House or the Senate or a branch of government is so important. And I know you've talked a lot about voting in free and fair elections. And can you kind of tell us what the Trump presidency has done to at least the specter of free and fair elections? Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very concerned about 2018. And I've been concerned about it, um, you know, since I saw it happen in 2016. And also because of structural changes that took place well before Trump came in. Uh, For example, the partial repeal of the VRA in 2013, which paved the way for things like new voter ID laws that disenfranchise voters. Um, So going into 2016, we already had the problem of voter suppression, uh, you know, which historically has disenfranchised black voters, um, immigrants, especially Latino immigrants. Um, It allows states to do this in a way that's legally sanctioned, uh, but is, is in my mind, you know, unconstitutional, certainly unethical. Then we have foreign interference. We have the Russian hacking uh, scandal. We have the hacking of uh, data databases, which may have made it possible um, to eliminate voters before they even got the chance to show up at the polls. So they get there and they say, you know, they're ready to vote and they're unable to. Uh, we have, you know, the vast propaganda initiatives that have happened. We've had a lot of dirty money that's floating uh, in the RNC and the GOP in general, going to specific candidates. So we have this whole foreign aspect. Uh, then we have, you know, another kind of element of suppression, which is intimidation from the Republican side. Uh, you mm. may recall in 2016, Roger Stone said there's going to be a bloodbath if Trump doesn't win. Um, you know, this was meant to terrify voters before they go to the polls, you know, make them uh, maybe unwilling. Trump is now saying the same thing. He's saying there's going to be violence. Uh, he's saying it's going to come from the Democrats, which right. is, of course, the opposite of what has actually happened in reality, uh, where you've seen a number of white nationalists and extremists and groups that commit hate crimes uh, come out, you know, to to vouch for Trump. And these are not, it's not a lot of people, uh, but it doesn't take a lot of people to cause a huge problem. Um, And kind of sitting above all this, this is what's really worried me since 2017, is that the GOP does not seem concerned at all about losing the midterm elections. Um, You know, I first sort of noticed this when they started talking about repealing Obamacare, which was a very, very unpopular move. You know, even Republicans uh, and and Trump voters were very upset about this. They didn't want their health care to be gone. Um, And normally, that kind of a mass outcry about a policy uh, would prompt, you know, officials to at least react in some way, uh, maybe withdraw it, maybe change it, um, because because of fear of losing in future elections. But they didn't care. Uh, They haven't cared about the large number of historically unpopular policies Trump has passed, about the fact that he is, I think, the most unpopular president in U.S. history, about the chaos of this entire administration, its unlawfulness. They don't care. Uh, They seem to be pretty confident that they're going to win, um, and I've been like droning on for a long time. So no. somehow, <laughs> briefly, um, like the things that this is like what I think could happen. Like one, um, we may actually have, you know, I definitely think that there'll be domestic voter suppression, and you know, right. and there are groups fighting that, and that's really good. But that's something that's just going to be there. It's always been there, um, and will probably continue to. In terms of stuff like a more nefarious kind of interference, we could have. We have like three options. We have 
the election could end up actually hacked, like Russia could hack the election, change votes, uh, cause a grid failure, um, you know, or, or other actors could do this as well, uh, and just throw the whole thing into chaos. We could have uh, possibility two, which is the Democrats uh, do very well. You know, there's a Democratic sweep or a large Democratic win, and the Republicans claim that those votes were hacked, right. um, you know, that Russia actually caused this, and so therefore they're illegitimate, and they need to be thrown out. And we've seen them kind of already paving the propaganda uh, path for that option. I, I think that's unfortunately likely. The third option is that the Republicans simply give up the pretense that we're living in a democracy altogether and refuse to concede. And we've seen, you know, little bits of this uh, in Trump's rhetoric and from people like Roy Moore, uh, who never conceded. You know, of course, Doug Jones has his seat. Life went on. But, uh, you know, he didn't concede. And, and I thought that that was notable as a, you know, a breach of protocol. If you imagine that on a massive scale, uh, we may have a serious problem. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very worried uh, about these midterms. And that said, I, I'm very glad that other people are worried about the midterms and are taking pains uh, to try to prevent some of these nightmare scenarios from happening um, and to get people to go out and vote anyway. Because regardless how dire all the shit I'm saying is, you should, you should absolutely go vote. Right, right. And you know, like you said, this is a very multifaceted sort of attack on voting rights, both domestically and from a foreign perspective. And, and like you said, structural things like the partial repeal of the Voting Rights Act and then also gerrymandering. And, you know, yeah. I found it really interesting. Like you said, the GOP doesn't seem super concerned about losing the midterms. And for me, in my mind, I've always connected that to their very uh, well-organized, gerrymandering campaign that they've undertook beginning in 2010 even so i mean that's part of it but do you, but do you even think that that's not even what they're oh no they're that's thinking? a big factor too yeah uh, <laughs> i could go on and on about all these factors but yeah uh gerrymandering is an enormous problem um you know and it, and it dates back several decades and i think now we've just seen more of the culmination of that um you know we've seen the effect of that in you know the wins that the republicans have carried out uh you know in the last decade or so what's kind of interesting about elections since trump though are that we've had all these special elections where there have been you know very high turnout and often an unexpected winner you know in an area that is gerrymandered in an area that traditionally voted Republican or voted overwhelmingly for Trump. In the last election, uh, you know, we've seen Democrats win or we've seen more narrow margins. Right. And, you know, that suggests to me a kind of fluidity that even in gerrymandered areas, uh, there's the possibility of, you know, the Democrats winning um, if turnout is very, very high. Um, and so I think that that's really, like, if you're looking for a strategy, I mean, it's, it's so simple, but like increasing turnout really helps because it helps send off these propaganda attacks about, oh, the Democrats win was illegitimate. This, this many people didn't really vote. Like when you can see with your eyes, you know, how many people are turning out, how long lines are, all these kinds of things, you can help fend off, um, you know, those sorts of, uh, you know, lies and baseless attacks. And it also helps right. offset gerrymandering to the extent um, that anything can. And there's some districts that, you know, really are a foregone conclusion. I think that, you know, the Republicans, um, you know, are, are it's like, logical for them not to worry about those. And, of course, there's some areas for the Democrats, too, where it would be extremely unlikely uh, that a Republican 
could win. It's just the the Republicans have been the ones, you know, systematically right. structuring the nature of these districts to favor themselves, whereas the Democrats have not effectively done that. Right. There was that whole case about North Carolina's gerrymandered districts and whether or not they are going to be able to use those maps in the midterms. And now a court is saying that, yes, they'll even though they're unconstitutional, there's not sufficient time to change them. So I feel yeah. like there are these structural things that are, are really important. But again, I guess, you, like you said, things like high turnout, you can, you know, as much as you can combat, combat something like gerrymandering, that's yeah, yeah, that's, that's a strategy. I mean, the thing that's been really frustrating to me is that these problems, you know, especially a problem like gerrymandering, goes back such a long time. Uh, the, the effects of the partial VRA repeal go back a long time. And we've known all about, um, you know, the various malicious activities that took place in 2016 since then. And so these issues should have been handled immediately because we right. always were running out of time. We were always on this ticking clock. And what I found kind of remarkable uh, was the unwillingness of the media to acknowledge that this was even a problem. You know, I saw not in like, you know, Fox News um, or Republican-dominated places, although, of course, you see it there as well, you know, publications like Vox or the New York Times saying that domestic voter suppression was a conspiracy theory, like kind of just ignoring U.S. history, <laughs> ignoring changes in law that, you know, it's like, no, dude, the VRA was partially repealed in 2013. Like, that's not like a theory. <laughs> that's a thing that happened. Um, and it's really been, I, I think it really shows the composition of the media, you know, which is mostly white men writing about politics, uh, maybe not knowing people who've been disenfranchised at the polls, not living in an area, where this is something they need to worry about, and therefore dismissing as a myth, but my God, like, the level of, of civic irresponsibility in that, um, because this stuff is hard to fix. You know, a lot right. of it involves you know, changing laws themselves. A lot of it involves, uh, you know, activism and civic collaboration in different areas. And, of course, because we all have different systems, you know, different forms of ballots, different machines, uh, different ways our districts are organized, it's really hard to kind of organize it on a national level. You need to have, uh, you know, activism on a local level. And to people's credit, I've seen that. You know, people are, are engaged and there are people kind of, you know, trying to look out uh, for the democratic process and make sure that it's lawful and that the elections are free and fair. I don't know whether they'll prevail, um, but it's been frustrating that there hasn't been the kind of sense of urgency behind it. Like, this is a serious problem. This might really be our last election. You should do everything you can uh, to try to secure it. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about that. The our our country has very decentralized voting, which I, I always like to say that it's a feature and a bug where it mm -hmm. makes it difficult for something like a, a large scale hacking. You have to go after 50 different systems, not one centralized system. But at the same time, then it makes it very difficult to change things at a national level. Do you think that because that's the case, there is this sort of hope that even though there are all these very serious structural problems and suppression tactics in place because it's so decentralized that it it varies widely from state to state? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a feature and a bug. I think it's something that people can exploit to their advantage. I think that digital media um, and the way that we collect data has really changed this. Uh, and we see what happened with 
Cambridge Analytica and with the Trump camp's use of uh, data taken from social media companies, for example, to micro-target particular voters um, to possibly hack into voter databases in areas that they thought might be kind of a swing state, um, you know, in terms of the presidential election, obviously the electoral college is a major factor. Um, that's not the case, you know, for these more low-level elections. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because it is very complicated. There hasn't been, I think, enough financial investment um, into fixing, for example, outdated equipment, hiring staffers, uh, you know, to, to double check and, you know, triple check and make sure that, um, you know, everything is, is valid and, uh, you know, done lawfully. Um, and there's, you know, there's so many disagreements now in turn on the federal level. I mean, we're basically dealing with, a federal administration of alternative facts. You can't exactly go to the Trump administration and say, you know, gosh, you know, I think that the election might not be fair. It might really skew to the Republicans. Like, we need to, we need to ensure that everything is above board. I mean, my God, you know, like, we know what they're doing. And so that's a really, that's a really remarkable obstacle because there's always been shady, you know, with elections. There's always been debates about stuff like you can go to like Kennedy versus Nixon or obviously Watergate or you know questions about the 2000 vote and the Supreme Court's role or the 2004 vote you know some right. people got their shady stuff there this is a whole new level because you know every official in the Trump administration is either there um, as part of Trump's like basically his criminal syndicate masquerading as a government, <laughs> or they're there to dismantle the department that they're supposed to oversee mm -hmm. and just, you know, pillage it for resources. Like, there, there's, like, no one kind of trustworthy. They've gotten rid of the trustworthy people uh, that you might go to for an issue like this. So it kind of falls on local people. Um, and that an honest person committed to rule of law and free and fair elections are higher on a local level, right. uh, but you still just have a, a lack of oversight. Um, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other is doing, and when everybody is arguing about, you know, truth is not truth, you know, when you have phrases <laughs> like that floating in the air, it's very hard uh, to kind of, you know, have confidence in the integrity of your electoral system, right. um, which is, again, why I push for, you know, very high turnout and for people to, you know, be doing everything they can now, like planning ahead for your district now. Don't, wear, don't wait until October. Like, right. you know, see what's going on, see what you can do, have a backup plan, envision the worst scenario and think, well, what will I do if, if this happens? And that way, you know, you kind of go in prepared instead of shocked, because I think in, in 2016, a lot of people were shocked. Right, right. I feel like that was a big part of it, like literal, actual shock. And, and oh, yeah, this this I well, I mean, pe people said it. There's no way Trump will get elected. There's no way this will happen. You know, even before then, there's no way they'll repair the Voting Rights Act because it's the Voting Rights Act. Come on, you know, and and that that narrative very much like was very pervasive in 2015 and 2016. And so I think people were literally just jaw on the floor shocked. So I, and I, I think the last thing I want to ask you quickly about is while the, the structural things are in place and it's so important, if if there is a way for, for Democrats to win, to win back some control of the government, I mean, I feel like the first thing that they can do is is deal with 
oversight of some of this criminal syndicate, as you so eloquently called it. (laughs) (laughs) And what are some of the things that Democrats should be putting in place to protect our democracy going forward? Let's say best case scenario. How do we prevent this sort of democratic backsliding in the future? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, one of the most obvious ones, I think, is to focus on voting rights right off the bat um, and bring back the VRA and, you know, even improve upon the original VRA, because if you lose voting rights, uh, you're going to lose the ability to make policy on a number of issues. And it's hard to sort of say where to begin uh, with the Trump administration. You have a gutted State Department, you have environmental policies that are passed that have ramifications for decades, uh, you have a lot of judges that were appointed to lifetime appointments by a president who uh, appears to be a co-conspirator in a criminal act. And I think we're kind of in uncharted territory, um, you know, with the legitimacy of a lot of the laws that were passed, um, you know, if things appear to be the way they are, which is basically that Trump is a Russian asset in the White House abetted by the Republican Party, whether wittingly or unwittingly. I mean, this is all kind of new. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would I would focus on impeachment. There are a number of articles that have already been uh, on the table for a while. There just haven't been the votes. I would focus on protecting the Mueller probe. Um, that's something that, you know, everyone should be lining up to do, uh, protecting the Magnitsky Act, um, but especially protecting voter rights, because uh, that at least gives the public you know, more of a say in the policies that we have, which is the point of democracy, is for people to have power over these decisions. I will say, though, that, you know, even if the Democrats win, I think we're in for a very ugly ride. Like, I don't think that, you know, the GOP, just or especially Trump, are just going to step back and be like, oh, okay, you've won, it's legitimate. Like, they're going to fight those wins. Uh, I think there's probably going to be civic unrest, possibly civic violence. I think the same thing would have happened if Hillary had won. I think if she had won, we'd be on impeachment hearings for her on totally baseless charges. You know, they have a goal. Like, they have objectives and things that they want to put in. Um, And I think it's for a variety of reasons, whether it's, like, Trump and his Russian mafia goon friends or Pence and his evangelical friends or the Koch brothers or the Mercers, all these big power players, they have things that they want to do to our government, um, you know, to our country, that they're not just going to, like, sit back and be like, oh, okay, Democrats, you won. Like, they're going to fight. And so Democrats need to be prepared for that fight, even if they do well in the midterm. Right, right. Well, Sarah, it's always a little depressing to talk to you, but (laughs) very informative. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and and talking about this. And and I hope that we do continue to have free and fair elections and that you know, we can fight, like you said, the civic unrest that I feel you're right is coming no matter what happens in the midterms. Yeah. Hang on tight. Yeah. And, you know, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And if you want an uplifting note, I do think that if they are free and fair, I do think the Democrats um, will do well. Um, and I say this as someone who lives in a, a red state, in a state that went for Trump, like people are very 
they're scared. Uh, they're frustrated. It's not like they love the Democrats, but they're really just like, what the hell's going on? So <laughs> right. if things move fair and freely, I think that the special elections that we've had so far are representative of where we are as a American public. And that's actually a good thing. It's a more engaged public. Uh, it's a public that's, you know, become more aware of its rights as it's losing them. And therefore right. will fight harder to, pre- to preserve them. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Well, thank you again. And I will talk to you again soon. All right. Great. Thank All right. you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Marissa, I am so happy that I got to, got to talk to Sarah Kenzier. Sad you couldn't be there. But... You know, I I think that it is such an important thing to remember that our democracy is a living, breathing organism. And as I like to say, democracy is a contact sport. And voting is so important, especially when you think about all of the, the structural roadblocks that Republicans are trying to put in our way. And voting can really be that radical act that says, I reject that. I want my right to vote. Yeah. And there's so much... Um kind of sketchiness about how the system works, about uh, uh, local election boards and, and, and everything. And so like, we, we don't want people, we don't want that to discourage people by any means, but it's also important to have a healthy skepticism because um, you just, you're not really, you can never be too sure about, um, you know, the status of your voter registration or where you're registered or if they moved your polling place since last time. I mean, it's just, it's up to you. No one's going to, you know, take your hand and, and bring you to the polls and make sure everything is good to go. It's really incumbent upon you as a voter to make sure that, that everything's set. So um, if you, first of all, if you're not registered to vote, uh, it, it is National Voter Registration Day. So make sure that you register and check the deadlines in your state or your territory because they're probably pretty soon. And for all of you who are definitely registered, we really encourage you to check your voter registration status. Um, the worst thing is showing up at the polls and your name not being on that voter roll and then you don't get the I voted sticker and it's just a really big mess. <laughs> so um, if you want to find your voter registration status, if you want to check it, you can head over to hellbentmedia.com slash action. And that has all the, the tools you need for, for checking your status and making sure that you don't have to worry about showing up on November 6th, that you're, you're ready to go, that you're going to be in the right place. And so you don't have to worry from now until then. And you can focus on knocking doors and making calls and, and talking to everyone you know. Yeah, you'll find uh, tools there to register, check your registration, find your polling place, all sorts of good stuff. So definitely check it as this week's call to action. It's a pretty simple one, but a crucial one. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, I, I feel like this is definitely one of our, our heaviest episodes in terms of the realities of democracy and sort of the the trouble that our democracy feels like it's in right now. Just before we started recording, Marissa and I were talking about how we're kind of in the state of, of constant, like constant constitutional crisis. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never ending. It's you think, okay, polls are looking good for, for November and we can um, just keep doing that work and the White House will just sort of keep burning, but um, it actually has a, a deep impact on our lives. So we have to stay aware. Um, but 
Um, I just also wanted to say that it's been so cool hearing feedback from people who've been listening. And I feel like we are just creating this awesome little hellbent sub community. Um, And it's really also nice to know that there are a lot of other politics nerds like us out there who care about polling numbers and get really excited when they see a political report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're the, the political nerd in your own friend group. And I, I love connecting with those people. It's our people. <laughs> so thank you again for listening. Marissa and I will be back here next week with another guest, another topic and another way to crush the midterms. Crush the midterms is a production of Hellbent Media. It is produced by Devin Handy, Marissa Cabus, Varsha Venkat, Josh Handler, and the entire team at Purpose. You can find more information at crushthemidterms.org where you can make your own personalized plan. You can also find more information about this and other shows at hellbentmedia.com. We love Twitter. Come hang out with us online at hellbentpod or at crush18midterms. Together, we are going to crush these midterms.